0: It's a pleasure to welcome you all, panel and audience, to this panel debate organized by POLIS. It is the second one that POLIS is organizing for this academic term and year. Uh, Let me briefly introduce myself. I am the research director of POLIS. My name is Zalili Kuliaraki and I've just been appointed professor in the Department of Media and Communications at the London School of Economics. And today I'm replacing the director of POLIS, Charlie Beckett who is uh, away to be in the United States on a business trip? Uh, the topic of today's debate is media and democracy in post-hood in Russia. Has the death of press freedom been exaggerated? About which our Chair, Margot uh, Light, uh, Professor here at the LSE and the Department of International Relations, will say more in a minute. But for now, let me just briefly remind you all uh, of what POLIS is about. Uh, POLIS, as you may know already, is a joint initiative of the LSE and the London College of Communication that acts as a forum for debate and research into journalism. With topics ranging from uh, the one we are uh, debating today on post-Putin Russia, to the fragile economic and political situation in um, Zimbabwe, which is uh, the topic of the next debate on the 22nd of October. And from the digital um, uh, future of broadcasting to questions of impartiality in the news, police uh, addresses and seeks to answer, however tentative these answers uh, may be, Crucial political, ethical, uh, and social questions uh, that all those who are engaging with journalism and with the study of the media are facing today. So POLIS does so both through public debate, uh, engaging with people who matter in the issues involved, but also through academic teaching and scholarly research both here at the LSC, particularly the Department of Media and Communications, but also at the uh, London College of <coughs> Communication. So topics may vary and vary widely, but the aim for us is always one. It is to better understand our mediated world, both in its local and in its global dimensions, and to try and change our media uh, however and wherever we can for the better. And I'm now delighted to uh, give the floor to Professor Margaret Light, who is going to introduce the speakers and begin the discussion.
1: Thank you very much. Well, welcome to this debate. Uh, I have to tell you that just before we came in, uh, we decided that uh, it ought to be called Media and Democracy in Russia and not in post-Putin Russia, Uh, because as of the last week, we're not so sure there's going to be a (laughs) post-Putin Russia. Um, It is, of course, uh, a debate that has been organized in part to commemorate uh, the death of Anna Politkovskaya uh, just uh, last year, and I can think of no more fitting way to begin it uh, than by introducing to you the first winner ...of the Anna Politkovskaya Award, which has been presented by an NGO called Reach All Women in War, or Raw in War. Her name is Natalia Estemirova. She is a Chechen journalist. She worked very closely with Anna Politkovskaya. Uh, She has a plane to catch in a very few minutes... Uh, But she has agreed to say just a very few words before we begin our debate. So, Natalia.
2: Hello, очень приятно быть сегодня здесь перед вами. I am very happy to be here with you. Я что звучит имя Анны рада, что оно не спустя год, как это произошло со многими-многими жертвами, такими же, как но не
3: известными. I am very happy to hear Anna Politkovskaya's name being pronounced here. I'm very happy to hear that it hasn't been forgotten like so many other people whose names have been forgotten.
2: So what
3: is happening to the press freedom in Russia and to the freedom of speech in Russia? Is it dead or is it still alive? I think what's happened to the freedom of speech and to the Russian press is, in fact, something which is much worse than death. In своем большинстве российская пресса участвовала в убийстве. Because the Russian press has participated actively in its majority in the killings and murders. And when Putin announced in
2: 1999 in the autumn of
3: 1999 that we are winning the information war, it is not a fair Victory, because you don't have a war and a victory when one side is armed and the other side is unarmed and doesn't have any resources at its side to defend itself. So I would call this campaign as a murder with words. Солдаты стреляли, бомбили чеченские
2: города, чеченские села, гибли дети, гибли женщины, а журналисты писали убивают чеченских бандитов и правильно убивают.
3: While soldiers were shooting, while the bombardment was taking place, when innocent people, women and children were being killed, the journalists wrote about it and saying, the people who are being killed are bandits, they're terrorists. Very few people stood up, very few journalists stood up uh, to this and in fact became the voice of the victims of this conflict. Самой яркой и самой смелой из них была Анна Политковская. Ее убили. And she was Я не
2: вижу, чтобы в российской прессе была такая большая волна протеста, чтобы там были такие собрания, как вот здесь у нас, чтобы как в Англии, как во Франции, как в других странах, чтобы так же яростно требовали расследования, наказания убийств и прекращения
3: того, что творится теперь. And I haven't seen the same outrage, the same criticism of what happened, uh, happening in the Russian media. What is happening all over the world in France, in Great Britain, in other countries where people are demanding that the perpetrators of this murder should be brought to justice and that the killings should stop and the violence that is being carried out in Chechnya should stop. There is no debate and there is no demand in the Russian media for such things to happen, to stop. В российской журналистике, так как в российском обществе, желание свободным. So the very desire to be free has been killed in Russian journalists. ближайшее время возможно возрождение. And I don't think a revival is forthcoming.
2: So
3: I'm very sorry for this rather negative take on what is happening to the freedom of speech in Russia. Yes. Just a few words about the award.
2: Я хочу сказать о той премии, которую я получила.
3: has been given. Премию, которую учредила организация in War, organized by the newly uh, or set up organization Raw in War, люди, которые хотят, чтобы никто не погибал. People who are just working for no deaths to, to happen anymore, чтобы люди были свободны. For freedom. Эта
2: премия
3: This award will help us to help those who are finding themselves in a very difficult situation, who have been condemned without trial and who cannot get out of the situation because they don't have any resources and any legal aid. And we will try to use lawyers in order to restore justice and pay their fees. Thank you.
4: Start to donate towards <laughs> the, fund, the fund, which is a separate fund for this award from the you know, drawing war's accounts, and it all goes towards the recipient of the award, the only condition that they use it to uh, advance their human rights work. And this is an international award, this year it goes to a Chechen um, activist, next year it should be a woman human rights defender from Darfur, Iraq.
1: Thank you very much. Well, uh, that really sets the scene for the debate, uh, because it's really about uh, is it correct to portray Putin as the main culprit in curbing the media in Russia? Uh, Are the uh, criticisms of the state of the media in Russia exaggerated? Are we being too negative? And what are the problems facing Russian journalism and uh, to address these subjects, I have four distinguished speakers. On my far left, I have Edward Lucas, who is the Central and East European Correspondent the Economist, Deputy Editor of the Economist's International Section. Uh, he was Moscow Bureau Chief in 1998, 2002, and he has a book coming out, <coughs> The New Cold War, which will be published in February 2008. On my right is Miklos Harasti from the OSCE, the representative on freedom of the media. Uh, Previously he was a writer, I assume he's still a writer in his spare time, a journalist, a human rights activist, and a lecturer on democratization and media politics. On my left I have Daria Pushkova, who is the London Bureau Chief of the Russia Today TV channel, and on my far left, Pavel Andreev, who is Deputy Bureau Chief of, news agency, of the news agency Novosti. Now, uh, what I've asked each of the speakers to do is to speak for only 10 minutes, and uh, I hope that followed, uh, following their speeches, we can throw, the, uh, f- uh, throw it open to the floor for discussion and questions and I will ask everybody who does participate in the discussion to say who they are, uh, to wait for a microphone to reach them before they speak, and uh, I'm asked to remind you that this event will be recorded and it will be available uh, online for public consumption as a podcast from the LSE website. (laughs) Now, we have uh, decided that the order of speakers should be first Miklos Harasti on my right. So, Miklos, thank you.
5: you Ladies and gentlemen, it's honoring and exciting to be here tonight. And um, um, I'm also glad to be in this distinguished panel with um, Russia today. Um, I had a little affair back. back two years ago I hope I suppose you have searched back (laughs) history Um, uh, at the the website of your channel Um, my office has published at that time a report on the handling of journalism during the Beslan tragedy by the Russian media and um, I can testify partly to what was said by the by the uh, award winner minutes ago that, um, that both the achievements of the journalists in reporting about the best long tragedy and the governmental handling of journalism during and after the tragedy uh, was really not satisfactory. The Russia Today Channel uh, was has, has organized a, a debate on that, where um, I was practically criticized by, by some of the representatives of the press. Um, ladies and gentlemen, I don't think that President Putin would be a sole source of the unquestionable deterioration of the media um, situation in, in Russia compared to the Yeltsin times. Of course, I don't, want, don't intend to enter the highly ideologized debate about the Yeltsin times, but the embrace of democratic standards about the press was an unquestionable governmental endeavor at that time, and it is questionable whether it is right now uh, during this presidency. Nevertheless a veritable, so to say, counter-revolution against media freedoms is going on in the whole OSCE area since the so-called color revolution, not only in Russia. And the Russian situation is only part of that dimming uh, picture. Um, Governments are keen, east of Minsk, I would say, are keen on avoiding similar situations, and they see one of the key <coughs> reasons in existence of truly independent mass media, broadcast media in the first place, and um, therefore our quite conscious efforts are going on everywhere, I believe, and I'm afraid, to avoid the formation of independent uh, channels directed towards the home audiences. Russia today is fairly independent but um, um, its consumption is quite I would say um, isolated because, uh, insular because of its English because the language of it is English and, um, and uh, because it is uh, right a window to the world by official Russia um, there are two major problems I see in the Russian media situation. Apart from the, from the pluralism situation, which is regrettable, regrettably um, eh, confined to the print press and to the internet, I would say pluralism of the media is exiled to the print press and to the internet in Russia because television is. Uh, Content wise and growingly ownership wise, quite monopolized. Um, The purchases uh, by a practically state owned media conglomerate, that of Gazprom, Gazprom Media it's called, um, has has, has reduced ownership pluralism which was restricted actually even during the Yeltsin times or even right after the Yeltsin times. Why? Because um, um, the classic surface uh, distributed broadcast signals for television show a shockingly uh, low number in Russia. The gigantic country, I'm speaking about the Russian Federation, of course, that, that gigantic country has practically three or by different counts, maybe four nationwide analogous uh, surface TV channels, which uh, is, 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 is the amount of uh, nationwide surface channels in my tiny country, Hungary. So maybe the digitalization and the multiplication of many, many channels Uh, that comes after digitalization would be a possibility for Russia to address address that situation and provide by easing the licensing situation by practically ridding the state of its licensing rights because that's what digitalization should bring uh, could improve that situation. But as I mentioned, I see two basic great problems. One is obviously the impunity, the practical impunity so far of murders of journalists Russia is the country where peacetime killing of journalists by peacetime meaning uh, well let's, let's not look at the Chechnya situation right now by peacetime meaning um, lack of civil wars as well, not only of, of, of state wars of course and that's the highest in the world right now in, in in the Russian federation and uh, unfortunately impunity practical impunity is also the highest um, when counted on the, in the ratio of the number of killings <coughs> or maybe even in absolutes because um, because um, and, and actually even if we see the, uh, the impunity of ke- especially if especially when we look at impunity of the so-called zakaszczyki, those who who ordered and organized the crime. Especially in the cases when the killing, the violence against journalists occurred obviously for her or his writing as a punishment for covering issues typically human rights or corruption. Uh, the second greatest problem I see is new legislation. The, uh, the pretext or the reason for which is um, the security situation and the special type of legislation that Russia chose to address that situation is called extremism laws. Extremism laws are broad umbrellas under which all types of uh, speech um, um, crimes, actual hate crimes, which are ordinary crimes committed with, uh, with the motive of, of ra- racial, ethnic, or religious hatred. And, um, and 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 all other types of crime are somehow squeezed under this umbrella and um, uh, they are punished um, under under this umbrella in order to silence even mentioning of people or organizations, writers, journalists or organisations who have been convicted for that crime. One of the great controversies of our days is of course the banning of the Russian Chechen Friendship Society which also uh, co- uh, cooperated with, with late Politkovskaya and um, th- that organization was banned because on the website they punished, uh, they published I'm sorry, they published a, a two documents downloaded from the web uh, of, of, of late or still living um, Chechen separatists one of them an awful terrorist of course, uh, late Mr. Basayev the, the killer of, of Beslan uh, but, but uh, the website of the Chechen Friendship Society called Bravo Zashita, Defense of Human Rights published those documents outspokenly expressively with the purpose of information provision to the greater public and they were convicted nevertheless for extremist crime. That was followed by the ban of the organization, which is quite a typical way how extremism laws work. I believe that uh, this is undue restriction of speech. What is going on under extremism laws, I, I, I wrote a letter to Minister Lavrov about this not long ago. I'm expecting answer. I got the answer already. They they are studying the letter. Um, I have to finish here. Um, I would be happy to talk to you about the deeper causes of violence because violence is not unrelated to criminalization of journalism. It's not unrelated to handling of demonstrations and journalists during demonstrations and it is not unrelated to the ongoing transition from media under state custody to media under civil society custody. It's part of the fight between the past of of new democracies which is state-owned media or state-dominated media and their future which is civil society owned, uh, supported and, and protected media and uh, all journalists I'm afraid in these countries who have been subject to violence belong to the independent press or most of them to the non-state press and that's why why I believe that um, um, the deeper causes of violence also consist of governmental slowness in giving to the independent press what governments in a democracy owe to it, that is governmental self-restraint and nothing else. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you. I call now upon Pavel Andreev from RIA Novosti Press Agency.
6: Ladies and gentlemen, good evening. Thank you very much for the invitation to this. It work? Right. Okay. Um, thank you very much for, for the invitation to take part in this uh, fantastic event. I'm very honored to be present here at the LSE and sharing this panel with such distinguished speakers. Um, just to discuss the uh, situation in the Russian media today, um, I thought that it would be a credible idea to sort of put, to make some inlet to that and to draw a bit of a wider context of what's going on in the country because what's going on with the media in Russia today is absolutely... Uh, Characteristic, and it is a part of the uh, general pattern. Um, there is, a... so I will I will start with the um, with major trends in economy, for instance. Um, there is a abs- absolutely vivid direction of how people perceive the economic situation in Russia. There's been uh, notable GDP growth. Um, there's been wealth uh, growth. There's been uh, people are people have started feeling themselves as living in the in a free country. Indeed, um, it's obviously attributed to these skyrocketing oil prices. Um, no, no doubts about that. Uh, but 15 20% of wealth growth per year uh, mean quite a lot for the people of russia today they've got stability and they've got some they have an opportunity to plan their future today the same trend uh, also is characteristic of the social development in the country the oil money has been well kept as yet Um, there is a stabilization fund fund, as you you might be aware and this money would go to develop the social infrastructure in the country this also contributes to the feelings of the people who can now see the future of their country and this also characteristic of the political trend Um, there is a very vivid contrast to the 90s Um, my distinguished colleague has just said that there was much more democracy in the Yeltsin times uh, in the media well uh, I would object to that because there was no democracy there was chaos in the 90s in Russia Um, democracy is is, um, is a system where there are not only freedoms and rights but there are also responsibilities and this was, of, this was there was no understanding of that in the 90s with the Russian people um, therefore, therefore um, what we the, the, the 90s resulted today in the political trend in absolute resentment of there any radical reforms and of liberal democracy in the sense you here may understand it. These, all these three features um, contribute together with the traditional, uh, th- there is a tr- obviously a tradition of strong government in Russia. Uh, all the best times of Russia were, Russia had in its history, were governed by a strong man. All these combined attribute to the 80-plus percent support to President Putin and his policies. That's why when we get to the media situation in Russia, uh, it it, it also attributes to to, to all those factors. The chaos of the 90s in the media um, provided for very poor quality of journalism. When somebody says that was free media in Russia in the 90s, I can remember media which were owned by the oligarchs and which were representative not for the public interest, but for the interest of particular businesses. And this is now understood by the people of Russia. Um, There was was a very um, obvious trend to sensationalism which is indeed characteristic of the media today worldwide uh, and even German even Paxman was criticizing BBC for, and the British media for that quite recently um, everybody appreciated Anna Politkovskaya in Russia but, this invest- but, but she was probably one of the few investigating journalists who were investigating in quest for truth, not in quest for the sensations. That's why the, all, all of these factors contributed to the Putin policies how to tackle the media in Russia. The state control of the media was essential to uh, Particularly of the television because we can't say 100% there is state control of the media in Russia. There is quite heavy state control of the television and that's, that's explained uh, that's, that attributes to the fact that obviously the television is the sort of has the widest and more well the most uh, thorough uh, reach to the people of Russia. Um, this, um, so the, the Putin policies in uh, in in, in, uh, in moving forward the state ownership of the television was aimed at deterring the particular oligarch groups from um, from broadcasting tra- transmitting their interest in the media. It is obviously a transitional period. Um, There is a a feeling, well at at least I have it and there are quite a number of people who share this view that um, due to the fact that the Russian people cannot afford uh, generally public media as BBC for instance is because the country is gigantic as my, my, my predecessor said and it costs quite a lot to sustain television broadcasting over the whole country and one, it, it, once uh, licensing fee was introduced in Russia, nobody would t- watch television because they wouldn't be able to afford it um, so th- th- that's, that's, that's the economic background to it, uh, the political one was, uh, I mentioned before that it, w- it was to uh, to provide for uh, the, the, uh, to, pro- to provide for deterring the oligarch groups uh, away, from, away from the means of uh, broadcasting, uh, for broadcasting their interests. Um, however, on the other hand, there was also a, there was also a public demand to that. Uh, the public which was tired of um, so-called democracy of the 90s and has been disillusioned with the liberal democracy and was disillusioned with the politics generally um, were not and are not um, and still are not uh, interested in politics so much that it would need um, mm-hmm, how, how we should call that so basically the public interest of uh, the public interest here coincides with the government interest to groom the uh, television the mass media, which would attribute to the interests of the people. Um, very interesting a very interesting uh, feature to this picture is that the majority of journalists understands that uh, if you if you look at um, at the Russian uh, media landscape there are only few uh, opposition, opposition leaders uh, so, sort of opposition journalists who are critical of this situation um, I was, uh, the, uh, my predecessor also named the uh, he was critical of the Beslan coverage uh, well after the dubrovka there was a charter there was a charter which was elaborated by the journalists uh, themselves and it was far before the extremism laws that there was a joint decision to Sacrifice some parts of the freedom of, of, of the freedom of information for the sake of um, the right of the hostages to live. So that's very characteristic in terms of the general pattern. That there is a um, united um, sort of the government, the public, and the media society all are united in understanding that in, in, the, in Russia today, in its transition period. Uh, When we can't just throw away the traditions of the strong government, uh, the terrible uh, uh, remembrance of uh, the chaotic 90s, there is a need to sacrifice some part of the freedom of speech for the sake of stability and um, uh, positive development of the country. Thank you.
1: Edward, please
7: Well, thank you very much indeed, Marga, and I may say, having spent three years sitting down there, listening to people talking up here, it's very nice to see the view the other way around and thank you very much for inviting me um, One of the key features of the new Kremlin ideology is rewriting history and it's not just Sanitising the Soviet past, um, it's also demonising the previous ten years. And it's absolutely true that the 1990s were a very difficult period for Russia. It is quite wrong to describe them as being a period of unrelieved failure. That's true in both economics, but it's also true in terms of the media. During the 1990s we saw a media which was very messy, it was very heavily under the control of different commercial groups, particularly the oligarchs. Um, it was sometimes extraordinarily unethical, both in, 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 in all directions. But there was a very wide pluralism. You could see a great deal on telly, you could read a great deal in the media. Most importantly, you could see on the television people holding the government to account, sometimes in the most caustic and sometimes in the most amusing ways. And to me, the real emblem of what's gone wrong in Russia is a programme called Kukli. Kukli was the must-watch spitting image programme. That shows how old I am, but spitting images were puppets, puppets programme that was very popular in Britain in the 1980s. And Kukli, um, in the Yeltsin era and at the beginning of the Putin era, was compulsive viewing on Sunday night because you could see the people who run Russia under very informed, very caustic and very amusing scrutiny that was taken off the air. First of all they said you can't have a picture of Putin because it's disrespectful. After that the whole programme went. Um, and, the, and the guy who um, runs it Shend- or ran it, um no longer has a programme. Like so many people, he's gone to the, ra- the one remaining free radio station Echomosby. Now it's absolutely true that um, Sorry. Yeah. Um, it's absolutely true um, that press freedom in Russia is not completely dead. Um, it is effective press freedom is there. You can still pretty much write what you like on your blog, although there have been cases now of the extremism law being used against bloggers. You can pretty much read what you want on the internet, although it can sometimes be difficult to access um, websites of people or organisations the Kremlin do' not like. But, and you can, if you go on the internet, you can listen to Echo Moscow, the Echo of Moscow, which is still a pretty free radio station, um, although it's owned by Gazprom and it's constantly being harassed by the prosecutors on grounds of extremism. On grounds of extremism. And you can read magazines such as Novaya Gazeta, which is what Mr. Polakovsky used to write for, and New Times. But The Kremlin is working on the 80-20 principle. If you control 80%, you don't need to worry about the 20%. Putin understands that's where the Soviet Union went wrong, because they tried to control everything, and that makes things brittle and therefore unstable. What the Kremlin does control is the media that matters, and that's the electronic media. And Mikhailovich was absolutely right there. It's not just a matter of having one state channel in order to make sure the government gets its view across, which lots of countries have. It's all under Kremlin control. When MTV, which was run by a very disreputable oligarch who I wouldn't defend, Mr. Gusinski, when they came calling on N T V, they could have said, look, okay, we don't like this guy, he owes a lot of money, um, things have got to change here. But they didn't have to make it owned by the Kremlin Inc. gas subsidiary, i.e. Gasprom, and they didn't have to make sure that the, all the programming changes change, which is what happened. Same with Ren TV which is the sort of the Channel 4 of Russia and again that's been brought very sharply under Kremlin control and the person who runs that or set that up is now the publisher of New Times, which is this small circulation weekly I just mentioned Now how does the Kremlin do it? One thing is, as um, Miklos said is the extremism, which is very vague you could argue the gathering we have here is extremist because we are stirring up social and political hatred it's very, very vague, the extremes in law. It's a catch-all law which can cover everything. Another one is what I just mentioned, which is chaining, changing ownership. The tax police come in, huge tax bills are invented or created or, or at least served. Um, the owner has to sell up, and guess who buys it? Gazprom. And the third one is actually the subtlest of all, which is just to persecute the advertisers, because nobody can survive without advertisers. And what both – I was talking to the editor of Novaya Gazeta on Thursday, Moratov. And he said, anyone who advertises in Novaya Gazeta now gets a phone call from the Kremlin saying, you really don't want to advertise there, do you? And without the advertising, they're stuck. It's exactly the same uh, at New uh, new Times. They can can barely find anyone to advertise there. Um, So what you've got is a kind of decorative press freedom. It doesn't do the real job of the press, which is to hold the authorities to account, to express the views of the citizens in a way that make the people who who run the country have to listen. Now, it's very interesting to hear this... interesting account of how Mr Putin has been a great success in power and of course we never know the counterfactual, we don't know how Putin would have fared had he taken over in 1992 when the oil price was down and we don't know how Yeltsin might have done if he'd taken over in uh, 2000 when the oil price was going up. Certainly there's been an enormous windfall gain from high energy prices and clearly not all of it has been wasted and stolen and clearly some living living standards have gone up as a result. But I would as a final point, I feel that the Um, the the Putin bashers have had a lot of time and I want to make sure that the Putin proponents have enough rope to hang (coughs) themselves with so I'm just going to um, conclude by saying it is true that Putin is very popular but if you just go to your computer when you get home this evening and google the Pew Research poll on attitudes I think it was in 45 countries around the world and they looked at attitudes to democracy and although it's true that Russians have a pretty poor opinion of the Yeltsin years and the kind of multi-party democracy they, um, they, that they experienced then. It's also true that 40% of them are against media censorship, that 34% think that the ability to criticise the authorities is important, 30% think Russia needs more democracy. Those views are, they may be a minority, but those views are important and they are not being represented in Russia um, at the moment. So I'll leave it there. Thank you.
1: Thank you, Edward, for being so brief and succinct. Daria. I
8: will try to do it as well. Um, I think you've heard enough about how bad things are in Russia. So I would like to take um, you out of that world and take you to the world that you all know. And here uh, Miklos has mentioned that there was a very unsatisfactory coverage of Anna Politkovskaya a couple of years ago. And that's a very clear image uh, of Russia Today wasn't even on air two years ago. Uh, So we're talking, sorry, it was an anniversary, obviously, of of her death. But um, this is, every time I see a story about Russia or about Russian media, I have a feeling that there's been, the story has been slightly photoshopped in the Western media. Um, There's a light distortion of how things are being presented. So I just wanted to show you several very clear examples of how the media here in the United Kingdom have been covering stories which were very important for Russia. One of the most striking examples is obviously the Litvinenko case, which everybody knows what it's all about, and the coverage of the case by the British media. Uh, It was straight straight away, it went into accusing the Russian authorities, um, directly the president of Russia, of being behind the murder, let alone uh, the fact that um, there were no facts. There was nothing said officially. Uh, There was basically the version was as unsubstantiated as the point of view, which is, for example, also taken by some people in the United States, uh, that the 11th of September was uh, organized from within the United States. It's equally, um, I would say, daring to say that um, Alexander Litvinenko was killed by the Russian president straight after he died with no evidence and no uh, proofs supporting that version. That's one point of the coverage. Uh, we also see the case of Andrei Lugovoy, the man who is accused of being behind the murder of Alexander Litvinenko. Obviously, Britain wants him here. Obviously, they believe there is some evidence which would prove that he is guilty. But what is Britain saying? What are the British media saying? They're saying, um, well, Don't you think you should alter your constitution and extradite Lugovoy because we want him here? Isn't it appalling that the Russian authorities and the Russian media are supporting Lugovoy? I'm not defending Lugovoy. All I'm saying is that when it comes down to the third term of President Putin, uh, the Western Western world wants um, the Russian president to you know, to work along the lines of the Constitution and not to run for the third consecutive term. Whereas when it comes to Lugaboy, we should alter our Constitution and we should extradite Mr. Lugaboy so that he can stand trial here in Britain. Uh, Well, I think the Western media, together with the British authorities, should decide what they want us to do with our constitution. Do they want us to be changing our constitution according to the West wanting things, or we should stick to what our constitution tells us to do, which is obviously not to extradite Mr. Lugovoy. And the case that you all know of uh, uh, the two um, famous people by now in Britain, the two political um, refugees, Mr. Berezovsky and Mr. Zakayev, who have been obviously not extradited to Russia, despite the fact that Russia has been asking for that many times. And the final example takes us away from politics, and it actually takes us into the airspace. And uh, we're talking about the Russian bombers that have been flying in the skies, and the picture of uh, two Russian planes in the skies apparently not far from the British borders. What has been said by the newspapers, what has been said by the television, Russia is stretching its muscles, Russia is back on the path of the Cold War. Whereas, if you talk to any experts, if you talk to any defense or, well, uh, plane i 'm not an expert on planes and military, but what I know by now that what I have figured out during that story is that actually has, russia has the right to exercise um, its pilots uh, that 's what all the NATO countries do uh, all the pilots have to fly, fly up to a certain amount of hours, and the fact that russia wasn't able to do that in the 90s because the country was undermined, uh, was much more convenient for the West. So all I'm trying to say is that um, you should always... Maybe I shouldn't be giving advice, but um, I always take with a pinch of salt the stories that I read in the Russian newspapers. And um, if we talk about the death of Anna Politkovskaya, who obviously was indeed a very courageous journalist, she was investigating... she was going, um, basically anyone who investigates um, criminal uh, affairs is probably under danger and many people in the line of duty worldwide have been dying in the war and in during investigative journalism. But if you take the case of Dmitry Holodov, a journalist who was blown up on his, uh, well, in the center of Moscow, in his office, in the middle of, uh, in the mid-90s. That was in the Yeltsin's times. There was no wide coverage in the Western media shouting out, he has been killed, the voice of all the true people. He was investigating the arms trade deals, uh, obviously, by... Um, saying that Putin is evil and Russia currently is evil we have a very clear example that Anna Politkovskaya has been killed but because Boris Yeltsin was a democratizer, he was running along the lines that uh, his western allies would like him to run along Uh, that death of a journalist actually went past the pages of the British newspapers. So when um, (laughs) when Edward here says that uh, Russia was well We're demonizing demonizing Russia in the 90s. I sometimes have a feeling that the British media are demonizing the Russia in uh, Putin's times. And my final um, point would be that Russia today may not be... um, I don't know how many of you have watched Russia Today. It's a channel that broadcasts in English worldwide, and uh, it has only been set up recently. Uh, It has been on air since uh, December 2005, and um, the Russian people, in fact, got fed up with CNN correspondents who didn't speak any Russian, but they were reporting the facts from Russia. And they got fed up with the BBC correspondents who uh, would tell the story from their part. The Russians decided they want to speak out for themselves. And if you tune in to Russia Today or if you read uh, the online uh, media from the Russian side, you might get a fuller picture than just by relying on the media in this country. (laughs)
1: Uh, I'm going to throw it open to the floor now Um, uh, I would like you please to wait to be recognized obviously uh, um, uh, to wait for a microphone so that everybody can hear your question because the uh, acoustics in in the old theatre are not very good and uh, to keep your questions brief and succinct all your comments, so that we can get in as many as possible. And please say who you are to begin with, because remember that it's all being recorded. Thank you.
7: There's
1: a question upstairs, please, in the second last row.
9: Hello. My name is Andrei Kushinov and I'm Russian myself, so I think... It would be a good idea to have a Russian person here uh, from the audience who can say that he actually knows the situation in Russia because I actually live in Russia most of my time. And I just wanted to add a few words uh, to what you already said about <coughs> chaos in 90s. <coughs> so what I want to say that clearly there was a chaos in 90s, and I agree with this. But, and 90s was not democracy. Even some people in Russia believe that what democracy is is exactly what we had in the 90s in Russia. But on the other hand, clearly there was freedom of expression, even there, was, there were different groups behind different channels, different media, but they were expressing different points of view. And what is uh, freedom of expression is that you are allowed to have different outlets, different channels, which provide opportunities for different views <coughs> to present their points. And that's exactly what we are lacking now. Uh, And I agree that, unfortunately, uh, it's not just evil Russian government, let's say evil, who does this. But uh, because of this unfortunate coincidence when we have oil prices running, which clearly allow some stabilization in the country, Russians now have two choices. Effectively, they believe uh, they have two choices. They have stability now and they have chaos of 90s which they believe is democracy and for them the choice is now strong government with oppression of freedom of, society, of, freedom of expressions. So I just want to mention uh, to get the point that unfortunately and I agree with the person who was staying at the very beginning uh, we don't have freedom of expression now in Russia and People in Russia believe in limits of freedom of expression for the greater good, and 80% of people in Russia do support this, and that's the reality which we have in Russia now. But whether we should agree with this or not, I personally believe we shouldn't, and that's not the right thing. That's a point which I wanted to mention, and uh, if you want to comment. Uh, Thank
1: you. the the. Um, the speakers are dying to, to keep uh, reposting, but what I'm suggesting is <laughs> that I keep them silent uh, until the end and then give them a chance to respond.
9: Okay. Uh, yes, look, I've actually got a question, um, which uh, does demand immediate response for uh, Daria Pushkova. Uh, the motion under the debate here is media and democracy in post-Putin Russia. Has the death of press freedom been exaggerated? Um, you didn't address the question at all you uh, just said, we don't want to talk about that, we want to talk about weird similarities between 9-11 and this and that, and uh, interpretations of the Yeltsin order. Normally when people refuse to answer a question, <laughs> it's a sign they don't like it, and it's a sign, too, of a guilty conscience that uh, they know that the answer is that press, press freedom hasn't been exaggerated in Russia. Is that the case?
8: That's a question to me, I assume. (laughs) Am I allowed to answer? No. Uh, I would really rather we got all the
1: questions in, um, uh, but if the audience rules me out. uh, Okay, there we
8: go. Okay, I'm here on the defensive (laughs) again. Um, Right, I just think that the image or rather the picture presented by the, my co-speakers has been quite full. I do not think there is full freedom of speech in Russia. I may even um, refrain my opinion on whether it's good or bad for the country, but I do think that Russia is currently in transition period, and uh, the country is still in transition period. It has, I mean, for the, Soviet, for the former Soviet Union countries and for what has what is left uh, and what is called Russia, uh, it is still a huge country to go from one state of mind into another. And therefore, you have to remember that uh, Russia has never really ever had any kind of democracy. And demanding from such a country to switch like that within, by now, um, 16 years from one um, set of... Priorities or set of ideals to another, it's quite a complicated thing. And what we're going through now, we all hope that there will be, the, the more stability there is, the fewer journalists will die in the line of duty. We do hope that this uh, transition period will be over uh, and that the country will soon get back on the sort of more democratic and free track. But getting back to, actually, I see the reaction to my point about fewer journalists getting killed, Uh, just to remind you that from 1992 to the year... Two thousand, um, thirty-three journalists died in Russia. And that is, uh, the, these are the figures provided by the New York-based, um, Committee to Protect Journalists. Uh, this number has diminished almost two and a half times in the Putin years. So we are talking about more stability. We are talking about Uh, the fact that Russia is going slowly back on its track, and once uh, the country has figured out what to do with democracy, I'm sure you can't take away from me or Pavel here, from the young Russian generation, the freedoms that we have and the freedom of choices that we make. And we, well, I personally do choose uh, the country that I live in and the country that I work for, and I do like what is going on with it.
1: Thank you, Dalia. I have a question at the top, but just before you, you, you pose your question or make your comment, natural justice demands that I should give
7: Edward yes. one second. <laughs> you lynch Negroes. That was a classic Soviet counter-argument whenever we criticised them in the Soviet argument. We said, why, you inter- why did you invade Hungary? They talked about Syria. We talked about Afghanistan. They talked about South Africa or Nicaragua. Stop throwing sand in our eyes and let's talk about Russia. I'll debate you till the cows come home by the imperfections of the British media. I was doing this so at the Reuters Institute Knoxville only so two weeks ago. But the point is, one more sentence, the point is we used to have freedom. It was a very bad democracy. you quite right to say it wasn't a democracy at all. But there used to be freedom. Now there isn't. If that's a transition, where's its heading?
8: We is who? The Russians?
7: Okay.
1: Your question or your comment?
10: Uh, yes, hello. This is to the distinguished proposition, I think. Can you um, say who you are? Please? Um, I'm, I'm a third-year economics student. Um, I'd rather not say my name, I think. Um, <laughs> are you afraid? Well, I am actually. Um, This is uh, the first point to the proposition. Um, The first point to to, to the proposition is that, well, the reason there's only been, I think, 17 journalists that were killed from 1999 until present is because, frankly, there are fewer decent journalists and independent journalists who are telling the truth to actually kill, unlike before. And the second point is, I think you're getting the causality between, um, you know, democracy and and freedom wrong. The reason that we had chaos during the 90s, I'm talking about we because I'm Russian myself, is not because we had freedom of speech, but because we had hyperinflation and we had war in Chechnya and we had the default in 1998. Now, this was not caused by the freedom of of the media. This this, this was not the cause. I think you should really address that question.
1: Thank you very much. There was another question. Right, he's withdrawn. There's a questioner up there at the back.
7: Yes, Nick Wilson. Um, I was appalled, quite frankly, that the last speaker made the comments that she did. It seemed to me she was just banging a certain nationalist drum, and uh, it seemed that she seemed to put people second. Um, I would ask her, who killed those people that died during the era of uh, Yeltsin? They're probably the very same forces that killed the people in the last few years under um, um, uh, the current uh, uh, president of uh, Russia.
8: Well, on what basis do you
7: suggestion? I'm suggesting to you that that's the case. If you are a reporter, why don't you investigate it rather than put forward this sort of ridiculous rhetoric that you're doing?
8: Well, I think uh, this is all about rhetoric, what we're doing here. We're talking, we're discussing Russia
1: a uh, question in front here please hello in the front
11: row oh. sorry I don't see very well um, yeah, Philip, Philip Harris um, there's no better uh, test of guilt or not in relation to Putin and the murder in London than his reaction uh, One knows that where a suspect is concerned, the suspect's reaction, does he say it's disgraceful or does he not, uh, is is the best evidence you have in the world of the uh, the guilt of the uh, person who suspected. But can I just say something else? Does not the West have a heavy burden of responsibility, much as at the time of uh, Suez when there was the the Hungarian invasion, because of allowing a smokescreen to be put up? Uh, of terrorism and because uh, all diplomacy stopped stopped in the West completely in relation to any other part of the world than the, than the near and Middle East isn't there a tremendously heavy burden of responsibility for the disastrous way uh, the situation is going in Russia and for the world um, and the West um, is there any gleam of hope that the West can help now to rectify the situation.
1: Right. I think I'm, I'm going to, there's a question down here. Please. If Hi. the stewards can keep their eye on me, because I'm trying to get the questions coming, so I'm pointing while the last person is speaking.
6: Thank
12: you. Hi, I'm Ellie Wedetsky, um, and I'm going to be really quick, because Edward uh, Lucas already asked the question that I wanted to ask. Um, Just in his last response, he asked um, if this is a transition period, where is it heading? Um, And I'd actually quite like an answer from both of you, if that's possible. Thanks.
3: Hi. My name is Amar. I'm a first-year student here at the school. Uh, Putin certainly wasn't the first president of uh, Russia, and he certainly didn't disband the, uh, the Soviet Union. Why blame it all on Putin? He's bailed out an ailing nation, He's certainly uh, come up with the numbers when it comes to GDP. And I come from Pakistan. My country has recently experienced radical changes when it comes to the freedom in the press. And it, de- it definitely hasn't worked out for us. Is that the way uh, we would want to go? Isn't free press commercially oriented? Besides, isn't freedom a relative term?
1: <laughs> right. Well, that
3: seems to be... A very good
1: point in which uh, to stop and pause and let the speakers respond to some of the questions and the comments, and then we'll go back to the floor again, so do you want to start Pavel because you asked earlier
6: uh, yes sure quite a quite a number of thrown in so um, shall I start from uh, from a, from, a, from there were two questions regarding the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the uh, regarding the 90s and the western uh, should, should western be feeling guilty of what, what's going on today well um, I would say that it was uh, partially uh, the, the council of the 90s was partially uh, attributed, should be partially attributed to, the, to those freedoms which were there in place in the 90s because those freedoms didn't had uh, responsibilities which would counterbalance those freedoms. Uh, the journalists didn't know what it is. The owners didn't know what it is either. Uh, so um, obviously Putin was a lucky man to have uh, the to have favourable economic outset for his for his uh, term in office. But then we can say that Clinton was much more lucky than George W. Bush is. Um, then uh, regarding the regarding the western uh, should should western feel responsible for what we have in, in 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 Russia today well it shouldn't it should feel responsible for what was in Russia in the 90s because it was exactly in the 90s that uh Russia the Russian government was acting on the uh, on the instructions of the international monitor fund of the american and uh west european advisors so that's, and that led to 1998, basically, when all of the country got broke. Um, who, was, who, who was killing the journalists? Um, if, you, if you take a look at the statistics, uh, there are a named number of, uh, of those killed. Um, there were only few of them who were killed, uh, provenly, <coughs> proved killed on the, on, the, on the ground of political background the most of, the, of those uh, investigations had commercial uh, and mafia-related, criminal-related background. Um, where, where the transition, what, what, what direction we are heading, uh, where the transition is heading? Uh, well, it's heading towards, uh, I believe, a strong, independent, uh, self-conscious country, uh, manageable country, because uh, the direction we were going to in the 90s was uh, uh, a disbanded um, sort of piece of part, part, of part of the globe uh, which was like, um, like a carpet which was sewn of separate pieces, which was not manageable, but didn't have common values, didn't have common objectives, didn't, could, uh, couldn't, couldn't stand for itself. So that's what we're dropping off and that's where we're going from.
1: Since you haven't since you haven't had a, a word
5: <laughs> well um, too, too many things said would um, prompt uh, some reply let me choose only a few of them I don't und- but what I don't understand in your otherwise very impressive uh, speech is this stubborn separation of them and us when it comes to the West or perceived West um, we are in a dispute that going since the Djekabrists I'm afraid <laughs> in Russia um, early, early 19th century um, I'm representing an organization the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe which started with the so-called Helsinki Agreements more than 30 years ago, the essence of which is shared values, shared commitments, the same for every country. And because it is the uh, successor organization of the Helsinki process, that we have the U.S., Canada on that shore, and we have every each post-Soviet uh, country in, on this shore of the Atlantic, it's, in fact, the Security and Cooperation Organization of the Northern Hemisphere. It is in the name of these commitments taken by Russia, true, mostly in the Yeltsin times, um, which I, I believe that, that a more positive attitude towards this, and not just labeling them Western, uh, would, be, would be a prerequisite for, the, for a better situation. Um, let me mention one Tiny detail. I could talk at length about the killing issue. Uh, the, the, the point is, of course, you are absolutely right. Mafia and, and economic reasons have killed a lot of journalists, and you are also right. The early, the first Chechen war has killed a lot of journalists because they were there. Because they were there in the first war. But um, um, what we are talking about is killing or violence is punishment for coverage and the number of death has grown and the practical impunity of those special kind of killings um, has also grown. Finally, let me address one very special almost professional question about the BBC type public television, its existence or, or non-existence in Russia. Um, Russia seems to fall uh, to the nowhere with this present system between, between two possible systems. One is the American system, actually comparable to the Russian Federation in size, in market, in, 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 a, in virtual market. And there, the evening news on those privately owned channels, because you cannot take really seriously this public channel, the 13th channels in, in the cities, which are kind of tiny tiny parody of the the European notion of public television. Um, Those those evening news seem to provide you with with, with some serious news. Of course, it's it's not a wonderfully working system. Probably public journalism should be also reinforced in the US, maybe with some 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 um, some, um, Growth in the the otherwise ingenious um, um, public TV system provided by the cable networks, whatever. And there you have the European system with its probably almost half and half shared frequency range between taxpayer-paid gigantic BBC-type public television channels. I believe that it's absolutely necessary simply because democracy is a more endangered species in Europe than in big countries. Now, what about Russia? You have only three or four nationwide channels, all of them seemingly privately owned, practically all of them state owned and um, you don't have a public (coughs) channel, the essence of which is independence from government, independence from all political forces and um, a kind of fairness toward towards all political players. And um, that I believe would be an absolutely necessary step forward and that would be the good transition. Thank you.
8: Yeah I just wanted to say I what I really don't understand is why um, everybody's saying Putin is stretching his muscles. Uh, why Uh, Am I being told, when I say, I like my country, I don't object to what is going on in my country. In fact, what, 84% of people in my country are of the same opinion because their life has got better. Why am I being told you're wrong? You shouldn't like your country because it's a bad country. Because. There is no freedom of speech and you as a journalist are a bad journalist because just it's, it's because you're from Russia and there is no freedom of speech there. How can you actually be saying something which um, is valid? I chose to work for the channel that I work for. I am free to say what I think on the air. And I have never been called by my editors or even by um, the KGB people uh, to tell me what to say on air. But what I do say uh, about... I work in London. I have been out of Russia for almost two years by now. I obviously follow what's going on there. I go back there. But I am following the situation here, and when I... um, see the litvianko case i don't speculate who killed him i say well the police tell us that he died this is how he died and the british media say that putin killed him what i do i report i transmit the facts why am i being uh, accused of bad journalism that's what i don't understand is it just because i'm from russia is it just because uh, i'm using the word the west because um the other countries' media use the term Putin is stretching his muscles. Why is it all taken in the light of uh, um, Russia's animosity and sort of hostility?
5: I'm sorry, I, I, I criticize this only as, a, as an ideology, not, not as a sentiment. Of course, um, there is a very good reading of, of the commitments Russia has taken on. Her, herself um, um, in in as as good patriotism and uh, and uh, non-compliance with them. Um, why should non-compliance with these commitments uh, be read as patriotism? I don't understand. Sorry, Edward. Yes.
7: Um, first of all, in answer to Daria. It's clear Putin's very popular. We don't know how popular he would be if there was a free press, which might expose some of the shortcomings, to name but a few. (laughs) To name but a few, the colossal corruption, the fact that every senior person in the Kremlin is a chairman or director of a big company, and no one seems to think there's a conflict of interest there. Non-executive. Sorry, non-executive, but well re- re- But sometimes, ex- and sometimes even executive, and very well remunerated too. What about the abuse of psychiatry? One of the most sinister things to come back from the Soviet things. I didn't know whether your channel, Daria, covered the case of Larisa Arap, who unwisely wrote an article in an opposition newspaper about the abuse of minors in psychiatric care in Murmansk. And when she went to renew her driving licence, she had to get a medical certificate. And the doctor said, are you the Larissa LaRap who wrote that article in the newspaper? And when she said yes, she was sectioned, and she spent 40 days in a psychiatric class of being forcibly medicated. took a very big campaign to get her out. There wasn't very much about that in the, rush, in, the, in the mass media. It was in all the small papers. But if that had happened in this country, it would be an absolute scandal. We don't see very much about the mysterious politics, the way in which a new prime minister is produced from someone's pocket and put up on telly, some we've never heard of. So, just, I I very much take your point, the gentleman from Pakistan. Press freedom is not a panacea. Absolutely not. And it can go along with all sorts of chaos and corruption and everything else. But it does have one important thing it means it's very hard for the people in charge to get away with dirty business without the, the, the electorate at least knowing about it. Whether they're capable of doing something about it is another matter. But at least it ventilates the grievances. Now, one quick point about the 90s. Isn't it odd that under this dreadful, chaotic rule of Yeltsin, it was so very bad? An unemployed spy from East Germany who'd done very poorly in his previous job and was working in a sort of, sort of half job in the University of St. Petersburg. At the end of this dreadful period, he ended up as the head of the most powerful organisation in the country, the FSB, and was then handpicked to go on to be the next president. suggests to me that the 1990s weren't quite so bad for Mr. Putin, after all. Yes to the gentleman up there, the West has got to get its act together, and until we do, we don't have any chance of taking on um, the, the, the Russian Federation in, in, in the ideological conflict. And thirdly, where's it heading, just to answer the question that I myself put, which we didn't get an answer to on the other side. I think it's very simple. Count Sergei Uvarov came up with a very good slogan for Nicholas I. Autocracy, nationalism and orthodoxy. It won't be very nice for Russia, and it won't be very nice for us too. We're going to have to get used to it. Ed, I wonder (laughs) I I really would
1: like to take a (coughs) couple of more questions from the floor and then I will give you a chance all to wrap up.
8: While the mic is travelling, I just wanted to ask Ken, how has he ever been let out of Russia with such views? You should have been punished for coverage, as we've heard earlier here.
7: Yeah, well, Dari, you may think that's a joke. Someone just wrote to me from St. Petersburg, saying I'd be arrested for Uh, extremism if I set foot in the country. Another person said he was posting me some polonium and hoping I'd eat it. Edward, (laughs) Edward.
1: Edward, I I do believe one does get uh, 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 not such nice... Responses from other countries too.
0: Thank you. Hello, I'm Valentina Isa. I'm a human rights lawyer from Venezuela. Um, I don't understand the importance on the British coverage content of the news because that content should fit within freedom of expression. Even a lie fits within freedom of expression, um, understanding that it should be subject of further responsibilities. Never prison, never torture, never death, but further responsibilities. Um, I don't think content is the the object of this discussion, but uh, the freedom to express that content. Thank
5: Thank you. Thank
1: you. Can you pass back,
10: please? Thank you. Um, Ms. Pushkova, um, I just wanted to say to you, I find it unbelievably offensive that um, you're sandbagging and saying that you are being oppressed as, an, as a Russian because you're a Russian. Um, I think that that just distracts from the real um, oppression that journalists are going through. Um, and um, I think that, again, you are banging a nationalist drum by saying that you're being oppressed because you're a Russian. Russian. Um, and I will say to you, I think you are a bad journalist because... <laughs> Because a good journalist will care about the rights of any journalist out there, um, whether they're pulling the party line of the Putin regime or whether they're actively um, speaking out against it. So I do think you're a terrible journalist.
1: No, 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 no in the white shirt, please.
9: Um, Andre Gromach, uh, LSE student, banking and Finance. Um, to Pavel, first of all, uh, uh, responding to your words about uh, sacrifice, freedom, of press for political stability and uh, transition towards manageable country. Uh, now, we've had a bit of change in the topic here from post-Putin Russia to Russia on itself. Now, does it have anything to do with the fact that uh, President Putin uh, has um, announced that he would be possibly uh, prime minister uh, after the end of his presidential term and uh, the manageable country who's going to be managing uh, FSB, uh, the uh, security force or uh, does it have something to do with the president at all or we are speaking here about who's uh, doing the
12: cookly show, the puppet show thank you
1: Okay, and the very last comment or question over there please
12: Um, hello, um, I'm Jeremy from Australia Um, (laughs) um, I, I, I come from a, I suppose, very liberal democracy, if a rather boring democracy, um, and I suppose my, my question that I put, I, I guess I put it to the um, two Russian uh, news representatives, um, is nobody, uh, I think you're confusing um, us thinking that you're bad Russians or good Russians. We're not saying that, and I think that's what uh, critics of your position uh, you're misinterpreting that. I think what we're saying is is that you can be a great Russian but you can also be a great journalist and uh, I think that's where the concern at least in the West is from. Um, certainly if you look around the world today um, in, uh, you know, whether you're in Singapore or China or even in Australia, you know, the government gets angry at, uh, at, at, at journalists but at least in Australia at least in Britain, at least in the United States uh, the journalists still stand up and they say this is unacceptable um, and I think that's That doesn't make them good Australians, bad Australians, good Russians, bad bad Russians. Um, It means that you're either a good journalist or a bad journalist, and you're either a free journalist or you're not a free journalist.
1: Thank you. Right. I would like each of uh, the participants to have two minutes uh, to sum up, as it were, um, and really just two minutes. So, Pavel...
6: Uh, Thank you very much for for your remarks. Um, uh, A couple of of the latest questions, they they actually make my wrap-up thing. Um, Content. Um, Yes, that's what I was talking about. The journalists are and should be responsible for the content. That's the counterbalance to 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 the freedom of the expression. You can't just tell lies and cover it with the, with the label of the banner of that's the freedom of expression um, about the united front of all journalists um, I think I've heard quite a number of prominent British journalists who were quite critical of uh, the situation in the British media lately it was Jeremy Paxman it was just recently John Simpson from the BBC Uh, who was saying that, um, and actually just a year ago, it was the Press Press Complaints Commission, head of Press Complaints Commission, Sir Christopher Meyer, who is not a journalist himself, but he's heading sort of this complaint commission. And he was speaking at this very hall exactly a year ago, and he was saying that the British government is uh, executing oppression and trying to spin so hard that it is a pressure on the freedom of speech in this country. Um, after the last, after the latest, uh, after the latest remark, uh, remarks actually the book by John Simpson of the BBC, who was saying that the BBC is no longer the same BBC as it was when he started, uh, I, sp- I, sp- I, had, I had Bridget Candles from the BBC remark to, to, to John Simpson's statement, and she said, well, that's not the core uh, thinking of the BBC. So that's sort of. If you want a freedom of expression, so you have to have have two sides at least, not not the united front.
1: Okay, Pavel,
6: that's it.
8: (laughs) Well, since I'm a terrible journalist, I don't think I can say much more here. So I'll just uh, just wrap it up by saying that uh, all I'm asking you to do is to try and uh, not take Russia as something definite, which uh, is, as it's written, it is a country in its own. I don't know whether the lady here has been to Russia and how much knowledge she has about Russia, but I think you should all go to Russia, see for yourself, see where the country is heading, see whether it coincides with the image that you get from any media and uh, maybe contribute to um, having a word of mouth around the world about what Russia is all about and also try to understand and not just criticize and accuse uh, the Russians or the journalists or just basically anyone who is uh, around of what you believe is true just because you read it in the newspapers.
5: Thank you. I felt awkward about the title of this debate because it was uh, too personalized both both for my taste and and for my employment right now. (laughs) (laughs) But but, um, eh, I do uh, care about, again, this is my last word again, about shared values. Um, People reclaimed from the two Russian journalists here some Of Voltairean solidarity towards all journalists, even vis-à-vis those they disapprove of, Um, this is missing uh, when it comes. And uh, this is missing when it comes to Russian journalists. Our first speaker was right about it, and Pavel was right about it as well. But most importantly, governmental efforts, governmental um, devotion to getting rid of the inherited wealth of the government in the media uh, not even mentioning um, uh, giving up the desire to, to re-nationalize in practice the media is required from Russia and let me mention just to prove that we are not talking about something Russian when it comes to extremism laws this is a worldwide fashion the Patriot Act of the US or the vote in the in the uh, in the uh, Parliament here in this country, which failed with one vote um, about um, incitement to religious hatred, um, or the data retention laws passed by the European Union. The joint umbrella of all those bad laws the the hate and uh, um, security feelings of of legislators of governments uh, of prosecutors and uh, this is kind of a common thread in today's dangers over media but um, actually um, I I could add actually about British media the official secrets <laughs> speaking, s- speaking about these countries kind of, and the very, very uh, uh, funny libel law of Britain. Yeah. But we are criticizing them uh, constantly. So we are not uh, picking, uh, not finger pointing at Russia. What we want is governmental uh, devotion to these problems and not brushing them off as just as, as a criticism of Russia.
7: Thank you. Uh, very briefly, because I, I know you're all dying to get to the three tons, and so am I. Um, first of all, I, just, I want to dissociate myself from the personal attack on Daria. It is unworthy of our cause to criticise Putin to personalise things in that way. Yes, the British media is imperfect. Yes, we have big discussions about it. Yes, every country is different. We weren't discussing that this evening. We were discussing Russia. Yes, do go to Russia. When you go to Russia, try and visit Mr. Trepashkin in jail, Russia's main political prisoner. He's on the Amnesty International website. You can look up. When you go to Russia... Go to the graves of the people who've been killed on behalf of Russian democracy. Go and lay flowers on Staravoytseva's grave, on Sakharov's grave, that no, he wasn't killed, but he's just, he's just a hero. Most of all, go and lay flowers on Polikovsky's grave. And then turn on the telly and see much, how, how much coverage of that sort of thing you see on the, on, on, on the mass media. And go during the elections and see what chance the opposition parties have. And then go in March again for the presidential election and see what kind of contest there is then. And then I think you'll get a very accurate impression of what Russia's really like. <laughs>